Hi, this is Mark, and uh, this weekend I want to talk to you about the question from the book of Revelation, what is the mark of the beast? And this is something I've never taught on, I've read a lot about it, but uh, I want to read to you, the mark of the beast is mentioned in five different scriptures in the book of Revelation, that's five different scriptures, the mark of the beast, and let me give them to you. The first one is Revelation 13. Verse 16 through 18. So in Revelation 13, 16, it says this. And it, talking about the beast, and the beast refers to the final kingdom that is opposed to God's people, as well as the leader of that kingdom is also called the beast, or the man of lawlessness, or the Antichrist. So Revelation 13, 16 calls that entity it. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on their right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. Um, some ancient manuscripts of the Bible actually have 616, but most uh, Bibles put the number at 666. And this has become the most uh, controversial, speculated number in all of human history for the last 2,000 years since the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, three letters, 1, 2, 3, John, and Revelation, and so, or the Apocalypse. Apocalypse, And this was uh, very important. Notice that he says that this calls for wisdom. And some, uh, you know, you look into this, in other words, it means discernment, insight. Um, it's a bit of a mystery as to what this is. And so let me go to the next scripture. Revelation 14, verse 9 through 11. And I'm just taking these in the order of the book of Revelation. Revelation 14, 9 says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Okay? Pretty fearful stuff. Next, Revelation 16, 2. 16 verse 2 says this. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So again, we have the mark of the beast on the forehead and the hand, the right hand, associated with worship, and it's also associated with the Antichrist, and it's associated ultimately with destruction, with judgment. Revelation 19.20, the fourth of five scriptures, 19.20 and the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who had, I'm sorry, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who'd received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Again, judgment, uh, destruction, 
as well as deception. Deception's thrown in there too, that these people were deceived. And then lastly, Revelation 20, verse 4. John says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So one theme throughout all these things is it's talking about uh, not in every scripture, but in at least three of them there. It talked about the beast, its image, the image of the beast, and then the mark of the beast. And what we're talking about today is the mark of the beast. So you might ask me, Mark, what is the mark? And it's this. There's a lot that we don't know about this, and I love to speculate, but in today's message, I'm going to just stick with the Bible. And... This is what the mark is. It is a visible outward symbol for commerce and worship. It is an outward visible symbol that will be on folks' foreheads and or their hands that is a mechanism for worship and commerce. Now, could it be commerce first or could there be a prototype of it? I'm, I'm getting into speculation even though I said I wasn't. Well, possibly, and I'll give you an example of a, a prototype of the mark in just a bit. But keep in mind that it's commerce and worship. They are what this thing is all about. Those who don't receive the mark will endure hardship and persecution even unto death in the very end. Note that people of all kinds receive the mark. John said, small and great, rich and poor, free and slaves. But specifically, we do not know exactly what the mark is. However, Revelation gives us enough detail that we will clearly, easily be able to identify it when it shows up. So that should be a cause of concern for Christians. We don't need to be afraid of these times. In fact, in Luke 21, when Jesus taught about the end times, he said, when you see these things happening, lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. End times teaching talks about a lot of different horrible things that come upon the earth. But for the believer, we know, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And while we're on earth, we have this dual citizenship where we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, and we are this preserving influence of Christ-likeness that the world so desperately needs. Everything that Satan does is a counterfeit of what God does. And how you can tell counterfeits, how people that uh, run cash registers in a grocery store or bank tellers, the way that they can tell a counterfeit uh, you know, $100 bill or $20 bill is by dealing with real hundreds and real twenties all day long during every work shift so that they can't necessarily tell what's different about a counterfeit bill, but from handling what's true, what's real, what's authenticated, they're handling it all the time in their fingers so they can just tell that something's different when something is counterfeit. And that's the same thing with Christians. We know what's true when we spend time in God's word, when we pray, and the Bible even talks about our spirit bearing witness with the spirit that's within other Christian believers. Where there's times where you learn that somebody's a believer and you're like, boy, I, 
I knew there was something different about that person. Likewise, there's times where I think I have, I know I have, and maybe you have too, you've gotten the creeps from somebody and you don't want to like accuse them of something wrong, but it could be spiritual discernment in that you are accustomed to dealing with the scriptures, with the Lord through prayer and confession and singing and worship and all these wonderful things that um, are means of grace, that bring grace into our life and allow us to bless the Lord and bless other people so that you know when a counterfeit is there. Now, back to, I said I wouldn't speculate much, but maybe I, maybe I fibbed, okay? When Christians are a little bit upset about different things in the culture, um, and they get a little antsy thinking, well, could that be the mark of the beast, or could that lead to the mark of the beast? Well, that very well could be spiritual discernment, because we've read the word, and we know, hmm, that suspiciously looks like something that either could be the mark of the beast, or could lead to it. Um, there's a lot of <clears throat> different ideas out there throughout the ages, and for 2,000 years, the early church fathers speculated about it, Christians in the Middle Ages and the Reformation, and in the 20th century, people thought, well, is it barcodes? Is it a computer? Is it a computer chip? Is it a uh, vaccine marker? And lots of different things that we, we just don't exactly know what it is. But uh, the discernment of a Bible-reading Christian is valuable, okay? So... God is the true creator that deserves worship, but Satan desires to receive worship. He desires to usurp worship by deceiving non-believers because they're already um, deceived to a degree. Because in Romans 1, it talks about how creation itself gives testimony that there's a God. But Satan would love to get to misdirect worship of human beings to himself as if he were God, but Satan is not. A lot of times people will say, well, the opposite between good is bad, right? The opposite between up is down. The opposite between God is, and then people will say Satan. But in actuality, God has no opposite because God is a singular, holy, just, perfect, omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, all-knowing, powerful being who even created Satan. And what Satan is, he's not God and he's not man. He's a angel, a created angelic being. And there's different categories of angels in the Bible. There's cherubs or cherubim, the Hebrew cherubim. There's seraphim. And there might be other types of angels but Satan is an angel, so an angel is not the equal of God. So God has no opposite, and it's important for the Christian to know that. But Satan wants to deceive human beings into thinking that he's a substitute God, or even that he could, you know, uh, take, take God's throne. So the mark of the beast in Revelation can be contrasted with the counterfeit of the true pattern of godly worship. And if I were to ask you, what's the most important scripture in the Old Testament? You might say, you might scratch your head and say, boy, I don't know. But Jesus was asked this question. And remember, Jewish, or Jesus was a Jew. He still is, and he always will be. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday 
and today and forever. That's Hebrews 13 verse 8. So Jesus is a Jewish person and he understood the Old Testament. He's God. He's also a man. But if you were to ask probably any Jewish rabbi in Jesus' day, what is the most important scripture? And the only scriptures they had was the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. They would have told you probably what Jesus told you, that it was what we call today the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, what we label or put an address on as chapter 6, verse 4 and following, it's this scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And Jesus answered with this scripture when people came up to him and said, uh, Rabbi, what's the most important commandment? And he answered with the Shema. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, and there's different, you know, different, uh, things in there. The Deuteronomy in the English Standard Version says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then Jesus said, and you should love your neighbors yourself. And in Deuteronomy 6, back there, the passage continues on and it says this in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So this was the Shema and how the Jewish people literally applied this is they would take little leather boxes about like this size, some smaller and some bigger. Jesus actually criticized uh, the Pharisees for having giant phylacteries, but they would put the scriptures like this one and a few others from the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They put them in a little leather box and they'd have a strap and they'd tie it around their head when they prayed and they would do it the same thing. Uh, in, in the Jewish understanding, the hand wasn't just this, but it was also the wrist and kind of this whole part of the arm. So they would tie leather straps around their arm and have a leather box, like a dark brown or a blackish colored leather box, on their hands, and those were called phylacteries. Phylacteries. They, they literally put this scripture, you know, love, the, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So they put those scriptures on their forehead and their hand. And that was how they literally applied the scripture. Did the Lord want them to take it literally? Well, I don't know. But the Lord wants us to take his scriptures seriously. And there was no harm done in having the scriptures right here and right there when they would pray. It was a way, an outward symbol that reminded them that God's law was to be on their heart. Now, it didn't guarantee that they were, you know, a, a true worshiper. You could always go through the motions. But God does look at the heart. And it's a very important to see that the goal of the mark of the beast is a counterfeit 
of the most important scripture in the uh, Hebrew Old Testament, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So let me fast forward to the application of this too. When we get concerned about, oh, you know, is this the mark or will I take the mark? You know what the immunity is to the mark of the beast? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If if in your heart you say yes to God, help me all the time. It's not that we're perfect, but it's that we're we're following after Jesus as best we can in prayer, in Christ likeness, in the Word, in humility, and we're we're seeking Him. And so it's okay sometimes to have those those literal outward things. Sometimes if a Christian gets down on their knees and actually prays, um, it's not that God absolutely requires it, but why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to show the Lord? If you can, if you totally can't kneel, that's fine. But why not kneel down and with your body posture, tell the Lord, yeah, I love you. Same with worship with your hands. We don't condemn people that don't raise their hands in worship, but it's like, why not? There's, you know, people will do it at a football game. They'll shout and cheer at a basketball game. And yet sometimes as Christians, we are so reserved in our worship or in our prayer that it's like, hey, let's just, let's be true to the Lord and let's, let's have emotions. Emotions aren't a bad thing. The biblical word for mark, talking about the mark of the beast, is similar to what we would call a brand or a tattoo. A brand or a tattoo. A 20th century example, and this is the prototype that I was telling you about. A 20th century example of the mark of the beast that wasn't the mark of the beast, but sure looked like it and could have been a, a early, you know, mark of the beast version 1.0 um, was when Jewish men and women were tattooed with numbers on their inner arm, on their wrist area, in Nazi concentration camps to identify them. And let me let me take this illustration even farther. It could have been that that was like Mark of the Beast 2.0 and that in that situation of the Jews being persecuted because the end times will be a time of both Jews and Christians being persecuted. Read Revelation chapter 12. It talks about the, the dragon who's pursuing the Jews as well as everybody who follows the commands of Jesus. So that's Christians as well as the Jews. We're, we're both included in that group who will be up for persecution. So if the Nazi tattoo on the wrist was Mark of the Beast 2.0, then Mark of the Beast 1.0, in my little illustration, would be when they had to wear... Uh, not armbands, maybe some of them did originally, yellow armbands with a yellow star of David on their chest here that marked them out as a different class of citizen, a Jew in the late 1930s. I'm not even sure when it started, but it marked them out as a different category of citizen in Germany. Okay, so that's like Mark of the Beast 1.0. It's visible that you can tell that they're different. They were different because of their religion as well as their, their ethnic group as Jews. And then 2.0 was the tattoo and all of the horror of the Holocaust whom the Jews call uh, the Shoah. Uh, the, the Shoah stands for catastrophe in Hebrew. We call it the Holocaust, which means whole burnt offering. 
But today's Jews around the world call it the catastrophe, the Shoah. So that's an illustration. According to Revelation, the final mark of the beast will be an outwardly visible symbol. And just as outwardly visible as the yellow star of David, as a tattoo on the wrist, and it's going to be a symbol upon the head and the hand, which could be the arm anywhere in here, okay? So know this, that thousands or millions will refuse to take this mark. And this number is, a number is associated with the mark. The number is... 666. John tells us that the understanding, that understanding and insight are required to solve the problem of the number 666. Now because of all the terror associated with this number, people have not wanted to get a PO box number 666, or they'll skip it on a, on a, on a, on a road, you know, it goes from 665 to 667 or 8 or whatever. So we're still left with speculation, but we know that this is an ominous number. But numbers among the Jews were often associated with letters of the alphabet. This is called gematria. And what it, what you would do, the first letter in Hebrew was alpha. The second letter in Hebrew was, was bet. And together we get alpha bet, our alphabet. And if you take the Hebrew 22 letters and in Greek there's more because they have some extra letters in their alphabet but the Old Testament was Hebrew the New Testament is Greek essentially if I put it in English A would count for one B would be two C is three D is four E is five F is six and then when you get down to the tenth number that's ten and then the eleventh number is twenty and then the 12th number is 30, and then 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, and then 200, and so forth, so that you had enough that you could count up some names, and, and you'd, you'd assign a number to each letter, and you take the name Mark, and you could just basically add it up and say, oh, it adds up to you know 323, or whatever it is, according to that uh, gematria. Now, it's kind of a weird thing, and people have written books about the Bible code and things like this, but the ancient rabbis, it was part of their biblical interpretation that was low on the list, but they, they like to kind of play games with these, these numbers being associated with letters. So it could be, actually, that if you take the letters of a word, a name, or a place and assign either the Hebrew or the Greek number value to each letter, the add up the number of, say, the Antichrist's real name, and it totals 666. We, that's probably the case of what's going on here, and people have tried to assign it to, like, uh, Ronald, I think his middle name was Wilson, Reagan, because each one of those names has six letters in it, but it's not the Hebrew pattern that I've just explained to you, but there have been people who've tried to associate it with all kinds of people. And if you come up with your own rules and all, all kinds of things, you could you could spin out and probably make anybody from President Trump to President Obama to President Bush to this pope to the previous pope to Islamic leaders to the Russian dictator or Hitler or Mussolini or Napoleon. You can make them all out to be the Antichrist according to this to a, a number scheme that you come up with 
or if you twist letters and so forth. So that gets off into the weeds. I want to conclude with this. What we know for sure from the scriptures is that the mark of the beast will be, first, the Antichrist's mark or symbol that's identified with him personally. It ties people to this horrible um, man of lawlessness that the Bible calls the beast, and he has other titles in the scriptures. The actual number 666 is in some form going to be part of the mark. We don't know exactly how, but it's going to be associated with it. Thirdly, the mark of the beast will be like a tattoo. It'll be visible to see. It will be on a person, making that person identifiable. It will be easily recognized and not questioned. People will know that person has the mark on their hand or their forehead. Fourthly, in conclusion, it's received voluntarily, not by trickery or deception. People will willingly go ahead and get this mark. Now, it could be that they're deceived as to the full plot of what's going on, but the commercial purpose of the mark gives us an indication that if people are commercially interested, financially, economically interested, like, hey, we're all going to starve and we got to get the mark, something like that, People are a lot less uh, subject to protest things if their life is in a de desperate situation. That's a little bit of speculation. Fifthly, um, it's necessary for commercial transactions. That's what I just talked to you about. Uh, sixthly, it's universally received by non-Christians, but universally rejected by true Christians. Okay, does that make sense? So non-believers are okay with it. But believers are not okay with receiving the mark of the beast. Seventh, it's a sign of worship and allegiance to Antichrist. And this could be that original prototypes aren't necessarily tied to worship, but later, you know, it, it certainly is. It's in the end, it's commerce as well as worship. Uh, eighthly, it's promoted by the false prophet. That's kind of a topic for another sermon, but it's promoted by the false prophet. And lastly, ninth, it's a mark that leads to eternal punishment. So if and when we see people uh, taking a mark on the head and the right hand or one or the other, Christians should not take that. Christians should not have that done to their bodies. Uh, beyond this, we don't know a lot, but we do live in interesting times, don't we? So what is a Christian supposed to do? A Christian is supposed to handle the real deal. We're supposed to worship God. We're supposed to love him. And the Holy Spirit, this is the cool thing. Jesus told us that we're not supposed to worry about what we're going to say. And, and saying things often is thinking things. Because you know, you know what's in a person's heart by what comes out of their mouth. Out of the heart, the, the mouth overfloweth. Uh, I, I think I'm paraphrasing that. But that is a scriptural idea. And so what we will say or what we will think in the time of persecution, tragedy, trial, tribulation, the Holy Spirit's going to lead us into what to say and what to think. And I personally believe that if God needs to pull out the recipe card from for manna that he gave the children of Israel in the desert, then he will do that. He will meet each and every one of our needs as Christian believers. And it will not only be with grace, but it will be with power 
and with witnessing joy that the Christian will tell people of other faiths and people who are deceived and people who are horrible, even in persecuting Christians, that the Christian will have a dignity and a grace and a poise and a peace and a joy even in the face of death that will show people that these people are filled with the Spirit of Christ. And we see that happening around the world today where Christians are persecuted in China by communist authorities, where Christians are persecuted in Nigeria, in other Muslim nations, in North Korea by the dictatorship there, that God is giving them strength to endure. And he's going to give us strength to endure anything. So we don't need to be afraid. We need to be informed. We need to be in the scriptures. And we need to be wise. As innocent as doves and yet as wise as serpents. So let me pray for you. Father, I pray that all who receive this message, that they would be encouraged to dig into the scriptures themselves. The book of Revelation even says that the person who reads it will receive a blessing because it is the very end of the book of the Bible. It's the last book of all the 66 books of the Bible. And it tells us that ultimately we win because you triumphed over death and sin at the cross. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are overcomers and we are victors, not on our own, but only through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, saints. Thank you.